If not, then that's cool. Um, so we're in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. The first five verses. I'll read this and then, uh, then we'll learn from it. Now to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those who entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So we're going to stick in here for the rest of um, for the rest of this message, and we've been going through one Peter. This is the second to last message. Next week is when we finish it up, and then we have a series on Advent that we'll be going into. Um, but as Peter kind of wraps up his uh, this letter to to the churches, um, there's plenty that we can learn from it. There's plenty we can learn from it. You know, most of the time. Uh, our messages start with some kind of like way into the text because this was written such a long time ago to people who we don't know, to places that we've never been, and we it, sometimes it's maybe hard to understand where the connections are. Um, but I don't think I really need to do much to get your imaginations working here. Um, let me explain. First, we're talking about leadership. We'll define some of these words that, that Peter's using here. Uh, the church is something that God has set up, and he has his own way because it's his his thing. He has his own way of how he wants it to be run. Uh, the church is a community, as we say, a gospel foreign family, that's led by a community of leaders. Not just a leader, a community of leaders. And that's what um, that word elder means. It just means like a leader in the church. We'll talk a little bit about that later on. Jesus has chosen to lead his church through a community of leaders called elders. That's just how Jesus wants his church to be led. That's kind of what we're getting here. Now, the reason why I don't think I have to do very much to convince you this, like, this is a, a topic that matters is because you have all, I'm sure, experienced what it means to be under bad leadership. You know what it's like to have a bad boss. You know what it's like to have maybe a bad uh, parent or whatever kind of thing. You've had people in your life who've been a bit further and have not done very well in helping you out wherever you are further behind. We've probably all been in church situations where leadership hasn't been spiritually helpful, but it's actually like, held you back in a lot of ways. Uh, maybe you've listened to the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. I don't know if you're familiar with this. It's a church in, in Seattle um, that grew very quickly and had massive problems from nearly the beginning of this kind of toxic, kind of horrible leadership situation. Not just a leadership situation, but the church itself. I had two very good friends who worked at that church during that rise and fall time. Neither of them work in ministry anymore. Thankfully, they both still have their faith, but they're, not, get, they're probably never going to be in church leadership before anymore because they saw how horrible it was, and they didn't want any part of that. And you know, when you see a horrible situation, it's not like it, you want to jump more into it. You want to get as least of it as, as possible. So experiences of bad leadership are many, but when we experience good leadership, it's the opposite. It, it helps people thrive. It's leadership really just serving other people. That's what leadership is, is serving other people. Good leadership adds to our life instead of like sucking away our life force like some kind of vampire. We're empowered to be even more of ourselves than we were before under good leadership. There's a wholeness in our person that comes out when good leaders are leading the way that God calls us to. And there's something in us, in our hearts, that craves some level of order. 
Because it might be tempting to be like, oh, if bad leadership exists, let's have no leadership. But you know what? When you have no leadership, the people who rise up are the people who are powerful and, and can control other people. So it's not the be- that's not the best situation either. Poor leaders keep people down. They starve our souls. Under unhealthy leadership, we wither away. But the good side is, and this is what Peter's trying to get at, is under healthy leadership, we thrive. We thrive like a full-orbed thriving. So we're going to look at what good leadership looks like here in, these, uh, in the, the first five verses of this chapter. Uh, see, good leaders make room for everyone to grow in their own uniqueness. They call it a wholeness. And everyone has a little bit of uniqueness, um, a different way that they reflect the image of God in themselves. Uh, there, and in this, there is uh, one main orientation. Because a good leader does not look within and try and lead really well from himself. That's ego-driven. That can sometimes turn out kind of okay, some, most of the time not. A good leader doesn't even look to the other person first. See, what does that person need first, and how can I meet that need? But a good leader looks to Jesus first, looks to God first, and only through that can they be relieved of that ego-driven kind of leadership or that people-pleasing kind of leadership. The only way we can be delivered from that is if we look at, how, we look at God first and have that God-driven kind of leadership. A good leader looks to Jesus first, and looking at Jesus first is what frees us from our egos, it frees us from people-pleasing, and allows us to lead well. And leading well really just means serving other people. We, there's a term, servant leadership, but it's a bit redundant, because all leadership, the way the Bible talks about it, is serving other people. It's not like some kind of hierarchy thing, it's actually whoever leads the most serves the most. And the best way anyone who can lead is if they follow the servant. The servant, that's what we're going to look at. So, three things. We look at the who, the what, and the how. Who we are first, what we do, and then how we do it. So that first section of who we are. Now we get, in the very beginning, this is something that Peter has been using a bit, is this metaphor of sheep and shepherd. He even uses the word flock for congregation. Um, you might have, if you've been around the church for a bit, that might be like a churchy word where someone's saying, oh, I gotta look after the flock, and you're like, what is the deal with that? That's a weird way to talk about people. Um, but some of that is because it's a metaphor for how God talks about his church in the Bible, is uh, that there's a shepherd and there's a sheep. And in this section of who we are, the thing about good leaders is, good leaders know who they are. Good leaders know who they are. So if we orientate ourselves a bit as to where Peter's, Peter's coming from, in fact, we don't, if you maybe turn back a page to chapter two, he's already told us who we are if you follow Jesus. And we use this as like the pinnacle, really, of this letter, verses nine and 10 of chapter two. But you, talking to the church, you, all together, you're a chosen people, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, you're God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you've not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. What does a priest do? A priest blesses, gives blessings. That's who all of us are. We get to bless other people. A priest is a mediator in the Old Testament, a mediator between God and man. They would speak the words of God. And we get to, all of us get to do that now. We all get to speak these words to other people. So if this is a little bit just like a brief view of, of who we are, um, if being in this new family is now your new identity, how does life work out, especially this kind of church life? How is it supposed to work out? How do we proceed in health so that everyone can grow and flourish regardless of wherever they come from and especially um, being able to call out their individual gifts? 
Well, with respect to who we are, the first thing, we, all of us, every single one in this room, are sheep. That's not a pinnacle of um, intelligence in the animal world. Sheep, they're not very smart. They have no offensive weapons. They don't have any defensive weapons. They're just kind of there. That's who we are. We're defenseless. Sheep need a shepherd. If they don't have a shepherd, they go off, they do their own thing, and they fall in a ditch, and they don't know how to get out, and they starve to death, they die. That's how dumb they are. That's us. Nobody here is the chief shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Jesus is the boss man. If we had an org chart, he'd be at the top. We don't need an org chart because we're a very simple organization. Uh, but we, if we did, he'd be up there. When, when we decide what to do next as a church, we have to sort out how we are, when we have to sort out how we are organized as a church, we ask Jesus. Even in our, our initial community meeting on Wednesday, we had lots of questions. Where are we going next? What did we do? We didn't make up our plans first. We asked Jesus first, and it seemed like he really showed us where we're going to go next, which is what he loves to do. Now, even these words that we're listening to now, these, these five verses here, um, they're not mine. They're not whoever, they're not Tim's, they're not Mike's. They are Jesus's words that all of us sit under. So before anyone is anybody, we're all sheep. We're all equal on the same playing field. And we all are called to submit, to surrender to this chief, this chief shepherd. In fact, that might be maybe the definition of what it means to be a Christian. One who surrenders to Jesus in all of life. We've given up on relying on ourselves and we rely on him. And he is not just a good leader, but he's the best leader anyone could imagine having. In fact, the more you learn about him, the more it just kind of adds goodness and goodness like this like layered cake over and over. Jesus ends up being so much more amazing. The more you bring your brokenness and your sin to him, the more you realize how amazing he is. So it's this interesting thing that seems a bit counterproductive but makes sense when you think of how the Bible speaks about him. The more we surrender to him, the more we become ourselves. In fact, it's, actually, it's a bit more than that. The more we surrender to him, the more we become more of, of who we could be by ourselves, the more of who he's created us to be. He's called out something very specific in us. He has plans for us, the Bible says. The more we surrender to him and his plans, the more we get to be us. That's a crazy thought, because we think we have to hold on to our identity, and maybe sometimes giving away things or surrendering or submitting means we give up on our identity. But the only way to truly know your identity, let alone live it out, is to surrender to the chief shepherd, because we're sheep. And part of what that surrendering means is in, in his words to us, to what he tells us in the Bible. And leaders in the church, whoever that might be, they lead first through surrendering to Jesus, the chief shepherd. That's how we do it. Now, this metaphor of a shepherd, uh, it's an important one because Peter does not use a metaphor of a rock star. Not only there were very many rock stars then, but he could have used the metaphor of like a, a traveling um, academic uh, or a, a tutor that would travel around, somebody who like, was revered in philosophical worlds or academic He doesn't use that term. He could have um, used a, a rich businessman. He didn't use the, a rich businessman as a, as a main metaphor. He uses the metaphor of a shepherd, not the pinnacle of society either. Smelly, kind of looked down upon, always kind of hung out with sheep. Like, we, we make fun of people like that now, us city folk, don't we? Ah, farmers, you know, whatever you might say about farmers, I don't know. But that's not um, what Peter's focusing on. He's not talking about like standing in society. He's focusing about the connection between the shepherd and the sheep, the relationship that a shepherd has with his sheep. He knows them. 
Sometimes the shepherd walks in front of the sheep and tells them where to go. Sometimes he walks behind them and he has a rod and he, he tells the sheep, hey, you need to stay in the pack here, otherwise it's going to be bad. He might even hit the sheep every now and then, not to inflict pain, but to keep them where they need to be. And sometimes the shepherds walk in the midst of sheep, in the middle of it, so that they smell like the sheep. That's a good thing for a shepherd to smell like sheep. Beware of shepherds who don't smell like sheep. Who are they leading? How are they leading? You can't lead like this. You can't lead far away. You have to lead in the midst. Jesus, our chief shepherd, smells like us. He's always with us. In fact, he took on our flesh. Even now, as a resurrected Lord, he still has a body. He's, he's limited himself that way. Pastors or elders, we'll talk about those terms in a moment, should know their sheep because we're with them. No good shepherd cares from sheep from afar. No good shepherd cares for sheep once or twice a week and that's it. And if you come to these things, then maybe I can care for you. If you don't, then I can't. Leadership in this way that Peter's talking about is impossible for one person. There's no way I can be that for everybody, which is why Peter talks about elders, plural, a community of leaders leading a community. And here's another thing. At night, <clears throat> the shepherd would sleep protecting the sheep. The gate itself was the shepherd. The only way something's getting in is through that shepherd. The only way a sheep is leaving is through that shepherd. The shepherd guards the sheep with their life. And the only way someone's getting in or out is through that shepherd. And there's protection and there's care and there's at the expense of who? Is it at the expense of the sheep? No, it's at the expense of the shepherd. He's the one who's organizing his life around the sheep. How often do the sheep tell the shepherd thanks or seem appreciative? Probably not very much. I don't know about sheep. I just don't think they're probably like, oh, thanks, mate. I'm glad you fed me. Glad you, you know, didn't lead me down that ditch or whatever thing is. There is a cost to being a shepherd, and loneliness is a big one. But that's what it means to be a shepherd, expending your life for the sheep. That's what a servant leader is. And when Jesus was on earth, he asked the author of this letter, he asked Peter, he said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yeah, I do. And Jesus says, well, feed my lambs. Then a little bit, just a tiny bit later, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? God, of course I do. Like, of course you know I love you. And Jesus says, take care of my sheep. Then Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, maybe out of exasperation, Lord, you know everything. Of course you know I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Jesus loves for leaders to feed the sheep. He loves for people to rise to that, to be able to be that kind of servant, to love to feed the sheep. And I have to imagine that this memory was in Peter's head while he was writing this letter. How could it not be? So for anyone aspiring to be any leader in any level, even if you're not like going to be an elder, whoever you might lead in your life ever, Jesus, who loves us unconditionally, asks us if we love him. And when we tell him yes, he says, feed my sheep. So good leaders know who they are. They're sheep, also called to help feed others. And that gets into the second section of what we do. Good, good leaders do what Jesus tells them to do. So Jesus leads his church through a community of leaders, and the word that uh, Peter uses here is this word called elders. <clears throat> Submitting to Jesus means submitting to how he wants his church to be run. You, there seems to be this weird thing that I hear often, I love Jesus, but I don't love his church. Well, it just means you don't know who Jesus is because Jesus loves to lead through his church. 
And Jesus has very specific ideas on how he wants his church to be led. Uh, Jesus wants all of us to submit to the elders of his church. So let's talk for a moment, though, about that word, elders. We're not going to go there today because there's other passages that get more specific as to the qualifications of elders. There are some here that we're about to talk about, but there's other passages that get to other kind of aspects. We're not going to go to all of them because, you know, we only have a certain amount of time. But this word elder in the New Testament refers not just to people who were physically older and not just to people who were like maybe even spiritually mature, but there's an official office of leadership in the church. There was a way to be appointed as one. There was a way to be, uh, if you had a charge against one, there's a very specific way of going about that. There were specific requirements for someone who was an official elder that they were, they were called to live out. And there are other places in the Bible where those things um, are specifics, and we can chat about that if you're interested in that. Um, now, the word elder, um, sometimes it's maybe not understood as synonymous with pastor, but it is. Regardless of who pays you, the church or some other organization, Elders are pastors are elders. Those are the same word. In fact, the same kind of Greek word, even root, uh, comes from that. Pastors are elders. Uh, And sometimes we say pastor for someone who's an elder and paid by the church, but, um, and that's okay if you want to use that terminology, as long as you know elders are pastors are elders. They're all the same people. So when we, Redeemer, ordain elders in the future, Lord willing, because right now I'm the only one, uh, they, whoever those people are, will be equal pastors for Redeemer with equal say with equal spiritual responsibility. And they, as an eldership, we will submit to each other, as the Bible tells us to. So an elder is a servant leader dedicated to the members of the church, just like feeding the sheep. Elders help lead the church. They counsel others. They, they, might, uh, they might teach. Uh, so they have many different kinds of functions, but the main thing is they're appointed by God to lead his church. Now that's a weighty thing appointed by God to lead his church. And under bad leaders, people wither. Good leaders, people thrive. So we must make sure we do what we can to follow Jesus' way here. Now, God gives us instructions for those who are these leaders and those who are not. So let's look a little bit here um, at at these requirements. Now, also, a few reasons why uh, all of us need to hear this, not just like, you're like, oh, I'm not going to be like a pastor, so maybe I can check out here. Um, There might be other reasons to check out, but I'll tell you some reasons not to. If you're an elder, like me, or if you aspire to be one, this is our charge. This is our charge, one of them anyway. So that's one group of people. If you're a member of Redeemer, uh, if, if you have committed to us, we've committed to you, you were called to hold me and all the other elders to what's written here. And we need you to do that, because discipleship is a church function. Thirdly, if you're a leader of anything or aspire to be, there are principles here everyone can live by. Actually, what we find out when it comes to leadership, the types of leaders that the Bible talks about is actually like the type of people that we all want to be anyway. It's just people who are living it out in an authentic way. So if we all kind of took this to heart and lived by it, that would really create an environment where we can all thrive. So let's talk about, okay, what, what are these things that we do? Uh, verse two says, an elder is someone who cares. So be shepherd of God's flock that is under your care. So the level of caring for these elders. An elder in a church has been put in place by God, not over their flock, but God's flock. These aren't your people, they're God's people. Watching over them, how they live their lives, making sure they know the Bible and that their lives reflect it. A caring elder will be one who will call sheep to risk. Because I think we have this weird idea that um, comfort and um, caring are equal. 
but they're not. Caring for someone will often tell people to take risks that they wouldn't have taken without you pushing them out there. I want Colin to grow up and leave my house at some point. I love that he's there now. I'll be very sad the day he does. But if he stays there until he's 50, we didn't really do our job in asking him to risk and to do things that he wouldn't do without us pushing him out. He'll probably do it anyway. But I think you know what I mean. If you care for someone, the question, like, how, how are they living a life of mission? That's part of care. And sometimes it's going to be calling people to risk. To care for them means to send them out. Otherwise, uh, they're going to live a very spiritually stunted life. You know, as a pastor, there are times where people will come to me with problems and expect uh, me to solve it or make it better. And I totally get it. We all want instant fixes. We all want, just tell me the thing to do and to fix the thing to go on. But often what caring for someone really means is uh, encouraging them to walk into the difficulties of life that they would otherwise avoid and to walk with them as they do it. I would much rather like a quick fix. Here's the, the habit to change in order to fix the thing. Um, but really, often, when we get into those difficult spots, what God is doing is doing a lot more in that difficulty. Uh, and so walking people through that long walk of obedience together in that, in that difficulty is what it means to care. So an elder is someone who cares. An elder is also someone who is eager to serve. Uh, the end of verse 2 Uh, It says, um, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, uh, as God wants you to be, not pursuing this honest gain, but eager to serve. Someone who is eager to serve will be inconvenienced. You won't be able to stay in every night because you're eager to serve. You want to help people. Their plans will be disrupted. Serving someone requires a certain kind of timeline. It's not your timeline. It's not their timeline. We're not going to be egocentric. We're not going to be um, uh, people-pleasing. It's on God's timeline. And how can we know that unless we pray? It makes you more dependent person on God to work. And especially if you're on other people's timeline, that will burn you out because you will never be enough for that person. So we have to be on God's timeline. And maybe, uh, maybe leadership, actually good certain leadership, is letting people down in the right ways. And that's actually kind of a caring thing to do. You're not going to be everything that everyone's going to want you to be, and that's a good thing, because God can be that. This requires a lot of prayer, not only for the situations, but also for your own heart and your own self. Uh, Being eager to serve here is interesting how how, uh, Peter puts it, Um, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Those two are, are against each other, pursuing dishonest gain and eager to serve. If you're eager to serve as a good leader, you won't be out for status Someone applauding your efforts is a wonderful sound, isn't it? I love that. Praise, it's a wonderful sound. But that's not what motivates a good leader. That's what motivates toxic leadership. Because then the only point, the only reason why you're leading, or at least a part of it, is because you're going to expect, expect that applause, and that's, that's a bad thing. Getting power, even something like getting a title, even something like elder and pastor, that can be really tempting. Maybe you'll get to tell people what to do. Ooh, that's fun, isn't it? That's not what motivates a good leader. Or even money, dishonest gain, money. I mean, pastors don't make a lot of money, but greed isn't related to amount. It's related to getting more of something. And pastors, I'm sure you all know, turn on the TV, probably many options there. Pastors are not immune to greed. But none of these, status, power, money is is how we're called to lead. We're called to be um, eager to serve, eager to be servants. And everyone loves being a servant until you get treated like a servant, and then that's really difficult, and that's sad, and that's horrible. No one likes being treated like a servant. That's how we're called to be. Okay, third, um, an elder is an example. This is in verse three. Um, so these leaders are not to be lording it over um, people who are in these churches, 
but being examples to the flock. Because how did Jesus lead us? He, didn't, he doesn't lord his grace and his justice and his mercy over us. He could if he wanted. He'd be, he'd be the only one legitimate to do that, but he doesn't do that. He cares for us and, and um, walks us through. Now, this, this example aspect does not mean a leader is going to be perfect, obviously, but it does mean that when those imperfections come up, they ask for forgiveness. They're honest about it, and they can be upfront because, you know what, their status doesn't depend on how well they've done. Their status depends on what Jesus has told them already. And what Jesus has said is that we're forgiven, we're free, we're a completely new record, and we have a wonderful inheritance to look forward to. Look forward to. Gosh, I'm getting excited up here. An elder is uh, someone who lives a life of mission. It's not that there are more activities in their lives um, so much as they just have mission baked in. They have people over for dinner who aren't believers. That's the easiest way. Do you like to eat? Who doesn't like to eat? Or at least you have to eat. Even if you don't like it, sorry, you have to anyway. Bring someone around that table. They have people over for dinner who aren't believers. They connect with people in their MC outside of meeting times. They're consistently in the word because that's what they base their life off of. If you base your life off the Bible, you'll have to read it a lot. And that's the only way we know what these words are. And they pray often because they might see other shortcomings in a brighter light, being in leadership, but also what they'll see if they're doing it right is they will be extremely aware of their own shortcomings and they'll need to pray often to God. Now, an, uh, an opposite example is lording over people, uh, like ruling over people in a way that is not life-giving but life-stealing. And notice the way that Peter talks about these people um, to the elders over you, to the elders ruling you, no, the elders among you. These are people who are with the people. And that's how we lead in a way that God wants us to. For someone to step up into this realm of responsibility, it takes a lot. Because it means, you know, less nights in, less sleep, more problems, more gray hairs, more gray areas. That's difficult, but it's a wonderful life to be able to be involved in this level of loving other people. And then we come across verse four, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. This isn't a glory we get, this is a glory that we're given. It's not a glory that we're gonna work really hard and get, it's a glory that we're given out of the grace of Jesus. Good leaders do what Jesus tells them to do. And in these verses, uh, there's one requirement for those who are not elders. For anyone who's not elders, these are... um, This is what God's word is saying to us. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Submit yourselves to your elders. So we've talked a bit in the past, um, in past messages what this word submit means. One thing, it does not mean uh, be a doormat. It does not mean if there's an issue, don't say anything. Um, in fact, it's very much the opposite. If there is an issue, surrendering to Jesus basically requires you to say something. Um, it's not a license for someone to act in any way they want. It's a surrender. And if the elders are living out as laid out in these verses, this act of surrender is actually a very good thing for you. God himself is saying this. This is not the easiest way to lead a group of people. There are easier ways to lead an organization to not have elders. It's much easier that way to not have elders. But God doesn't want it to be easy. He wants it to be good. And so this is the way that he set it out. And we're all called to be led. And here's how to tell if you're doing this well, if you're being led well. Are you teachable? Are you in charge of your own DIY faith or are you surrendering to how God wants you to grow, which means surrendering to his church? Do you rely on your leaders to do all the things? When someone has something difficult for you to hear, do you hear it? Or you're like, yeah, that's nice. I'll keep on doing the same thing I'm doing. 
Who do you go to when you have difficult things to work through? Not that, I'm not saying you have to come to me to all these things, but there are leaders in your life, whether it's a missional community leader or other people, that we are called to surrender to. And the main way that you, as in people who are not pastors of Redeemer, the main way that you can keep the pastors to this standard is through being a member of Redeemer. Because if you're a member, you have say on who becomes a pastor or who doesn't. And if you're a member, you have say on who ought to be, continue being a pastor and who ought not to. As a member, you're the primary people that God has called the elders to look after. Because membership is a two-way street. We give ourselves and, um, to each other. Now, Jesus tells us the best way for us to live is, here is to surrender to the elders in this church. Now, if you're a member, you have elders. And this is, well, elder at the moment, Lord willing, elders in the future. Now, if you aren't a member yet, um, and you don't have that official kind of uh, level of eldership yet, and I just want to say, there's no kind of um, pressure here. Uh, um, we're all in different timelines, and we all have different experiences with church in the background. Some bad, some really bad, and some that were maybe okay. It's the maybe okay ones that are actually, you find, out, that's amazing. That was really good. Right? We all have different kind of backgrounds. And so there, we, I don't think anyone needs to be anxious about membership. But we also shouldn't be lazy either. Right? We don't have to think, oh, I need to do this immediately. Um, I mean, it's good to be a member. Just, I mean, it's what God says. Uh, but we also shouldn't be lazy with it either. So it's just something uh, to think about. If you want to know more about what that looks like, because our membership process is a process of discipleship, and that's how we bake it in here at Redeemer. If you want to know more what that looks like, you can talk to me or one of your missional community leaders. And the reason we have this in place isn't because we've thought of this, isn't because it's like the best way to keep people in line or keep people in check. It's way more, um, it's way more difficult to do things the way that God tells you to do. But there's a good reason for that, because God wants to lead us in health, not in efficiency. And we don't do this because it's easier. It's because Jesus commands it, and we all surrender and submit to it. And the way that our church has started is with uh, me as the only elder. So that's the way some churches get planted. But the goal from the start has always been to develop a community of other leaders, of elders, to lead Redeemer along with me. Uh, the reason that's the goal is because it's what Jesus says. It's not something we think of. Now, Redeemer is, I think, actually, when you think about it, in a very similar state to the people that Peter is writing to here. The church here is located in Asia Minor, people who've been kicked out of Rome, uh, and it's in the very beginning embryonic stages, like us, like being set up. And in this very beginning stage, it's, it's important, because Peter's writing about it, for there to be elders. It's not like, once you guys get yourselves sorted out, then sort out elders. It's the same thing in Titus. Titus uh, is sent by Paul to plant these churches that Paul kind of started beginnings with uh, in different, um, different cities in, uh, alongside Crete. And in the very beginning, Paul says, uh, appoint elders at each church. Like, that's, that's part of, like, it's, uh, an urgency that Paul and Peter have for the church. And that's why it's something that we focus on right now for Redeemer. And it's also an important part of transitioning from a church plant to an actual established church is a community of elders. Right. So I talked about who we are. talked about what we do. Next, we talk about how we are to do it. And this is... Oh, there we are. I'm in the right spot. Ah, willing and humble. Willing and humble. I think you can make a lot of technical mistakes as a leader or in anyone's life, but if you are, grow, if you are willing and humble before God, that covers a lot. And it ought to, because we're all called to be this. Willing, uh, Peter writes, as God wants you to be. He's writing to the leaders. He wants you to be willing as God wants you to be. Not because you must, but because you're willing. Not because it's a, by mere duty, 
but because you really want to. There's a desire there. This is how God wants you to be. It's easy to serve out of mere duty. It's easier to serve out of self-righteousness. It's really easy to serve out of pride. It's easy to serve just out of gifts because I'm good at it. I'll do it. But that's not how God wants us to be. He wants us to serve willingly. Leaders who want to serve are different than leaders who feel like they have to serve. I know you've experienced that and you know it when you're in it. Oh, that guy is doing this thing because he has to. Or, wow, it really felt like you know, there was something else there. On the outside, these two, two, these two types might look the same, but on the inside, it's worlds apart because one can lead to joy, the other leads to frustration. A willing leader will be gentle, will be kind, will be loving. A leader led by mere duty will be harsh, will be short with others because people are just a means to an end. A box must be ticked at the end of the day and you're stopping me from ticking my box and so I'm frustrated with you instead of seeing the person for a person. So that's willing and also humble. And this is humble for everybody. In the end of verse five, all of you, so he's talking to those who are elders and those who aren't elders, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. So there's two groups toward one another. All of us come with humility. For all involved, those who are elders, those who aren't, those who are MC leaders, those who aren't, leaders and those who submit to leaders, we're all to cover ourselves with humility. To clothe yourself with something means it's gonna be obvious from the outside how you are. You'll be able to see it even maybe from a little ways, ways away. Oh, that's a humble person. I can tell from the way they're acting, that's a humble person. Humility requires patience with each other both ways. It requires talking to each other both ways. It requires a grace given to the other. Imagine how the world would look if leaders and those who led, those who were led, were humble towards each other. Just imagine how that small little change would affect everything. Would affect everything. Leaders who lack humility might come across as uh, strong personalities, or like that type A kind of like he, he's, he's aggressive, but really, it's a flight from leadership. It's weak, it's very weak. It's, it's, uh, a free, it's a fear to trust that the Lord is leading. Because if the Lord is leading, you don't have to take it all upon yourself. If you're afraid he's not gonna lead the way that he ought to, that he, that he ought to you know, how he ought to, you're gonna take that upon yourself. You might become uh, aggressive, you might be seen as strong, but really, this, that's a weakness. Fear to actually trust in God to lead his people the way he wants. And so, leaders who are afraid to trust in the Lord try and steal a little bit of God's power for themselves and their pride destroys lives in the process. Now, people who aren't leaders who lack humility, so everyone who's maybe not a leader and might lack humility, I think are likewise just as fearful and just as weak because they're afraid of trusting that God is gonna lead the church the way that he's called us to. So you feel like you might need to do a thing or two to, to you know, mix things up. To not submit to God's leaders or to not bring up legitimate issues with leaders, it's prideful because ultimately you don't believe that God has it. If God has it, that frees us to be able to be the people that God calls us to be. Being willing and being humble is not task-orientated. It would be much easier if it was. <laughs> it's heart-orientated, and that's really hard. If we are orientated towards Jesus first, the difficulties that come from leading and, leading le- and being led can actually all get worked out. They all can, every single one of them. And let me also say, we often try to avoid difficulties. And yeah, of course I get that. But from what I've found, much more often than not, is that times of difficulty are the primary way that we get to a deeper love of Jesus. And I know that's true talking through some of you who've gone through really like, life-changing, difficult things. It's, that, it's the prime way that God uses for us to uh, fix our orientation on him in a way that's different than before. 
and where we get to see how willing and humble we really are or really aren't. And then that's actually grace in itself because it's something we can repent and grow from. And if you're always trying to swerve around the difficult areas in your life, your spiritual life will be stunted. Like that is definitely true. I remember um, when Colin was younger, just like all babies, if you gave him something like toothpaste or anything in his hand, he would just like squeeze it immediately. Anything in there, just like squeeze and whatever it is, is gonna come out. Um, just to see what would happen. Just to see what would come out. Oh, it says toothpaste, but I don't know, really? Oh yeah, okay, cool, it is toothpaste. And I think this is a lot of what leadership is like. It might feel like that too, like a bit of a squeezing sometimes, but leadership tests you in whatever kind of level of leadership. It squeezes you. And in, and in that process, you are come face to face with what actually comes out. It's not always toothpaste in there. Like, how in the world did that get in there? I had no idea that was lurking in there somewhere. In your blissful ignorance, you thought it was all just purity and goodness inside. And then you started feeding the sheep and you're like, oh, I'm really frustrated and this is difficult. A bit of testing, a bit of leading, you find out maybe you aren't as willing or humble as you thought you were. And so what we do is we don't give up, we don't get depressed, we go to Christ for help. He knows that better than we do. We go to him for help. When you find out you aren't as humble as you thought you were, you don't, oh, it's hard, one, I need to resign, whatever it is. No, 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 we go to Christ for help. He loves to do that. That's probably the reason you're in that position. I remember one of the first lectures at a seminary at my Bible college was saying, the church does not need you as much as you think it does. And also, the reason why you're a leader is because God needs you to be more dependent and needy, and this is the only way you're gonna get it. It's because you're gonna lead people. You're like, I don't have what these people need. Like, yeah. Oh, you finally get it. Okay, here's the gospel. Jesus has what we need. And it's a difficult thing, right? But it's a wonderful grace from God when you come face to face with the reality that you actually aren't as dependent on him as you thought, or at least as you said, and that in most things, even in the church, you do depend on yourself, and there's an opportunity there. Because leadership, done rightly, puts the leadership, uh, puts whoever is in leadership in an extremely vulnerable position. And the only way to sustain that is through Jesus' presence, his power following his way. Good leaders lead with Jesus' heart. And now, of course, without Jesus, how in the world would we even begin to live this way? If this is just like a bar we have to all rise to, I'm sorry, none of us is ever going to get there, and we should just pack it up and go home. We all want to live this way, um, but we also know the darkness of our own hearts. Even if you've never told someone, you know you, you know you. How can we get to what we're reading here, even in just five small little piddly verses? There's more. This is just five verses. How can we possibly get there? Well, thank God there's something better for us than just trying harder. Because who is the shepherd that guards the sheep with his life? Who's the one that gave it? Who is the shepherd that keeps the sheep alive with his life? He continues to give it. Who came to save us? Not out of some mere religious duty or because he felt like he had to, but left a perfectly beautiful life willingly to save us? Who came not in overwhelming power, but in humility, eager to serve us as a servant? Jesus is the leader we need, not the one we deserve, definitely the one we need. For Jesus to lead, that meant being publicly tortured to death. Nobody was applauding him then. They were applauding his death, if anything. And that didn't stop him. He kept on it because he's the chief shepherd, and that's who he is. So that's what he does, and that's who we get to surrender to. 
And that is our example of how to live. The only hope we have to be an example to others in our lives is if we first set our hopes on him, is if Jesus first is our example. And what's amazing about Jesus is that he's even more than the example, of course. He's the one who gives us the power to go through it. He's how we get there. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are what we need. You are all that we need.